0: Efficiency Services Group partners with publicly owned electric utilities to deliver energy efficiency programs and services. ESG serves as an extension of energy services staff, bringing a wealth of skills and experience to provide direct install programs, customer care kits, field auditing and inspections, utility staff training, and reporting for Bonneville Power Administration customers and California utilities. Learn more about how ESG can benefit your energy efficiency organization at EfficiencyServicesGroup.com. That's EfficiencyServicesGroup.com.
1: Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry
0: today and where it's going tomorrow.
1: Hello, I'm Dan Catchable, reporter with Newsday is Clearing Up. And with me is my co-host and the editor of California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our top stories we've been working on lately. First, Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Dan. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. Beautiful day out yeah. here. Uh, just got back nice. last late last night or early this morning from uh, Central Washington. My wife and I and some friends went out to see a show at the Gorge in um in George Washington the humorously wow. humor, humorously named um yeah. George Washington but uh yeah the the gorge of George it's this um amazing concert venue along the Columbia River it, it overlooks the river it's in the Columbia Gorge this kind of natural wow. amphitheater so mm-hmm. it's really they've done minimal landscaping there um and this this you know great place to see it there's I can't imagine a more beautiful setting to see a concert frankly uh the sun is setting against uh right behind this the stage you know they they lift up the the sunshade they've got down uh to so people can see the sunset uh but yeah. yeah we saw the high women perform uh you know Brandy Carlisle mm-hmm. Maren Morris uh Tanya Tucker open for them uh, yeah it's an amazing show uh, all right so, yeah. Well, I'm a big music a fan, so glad to hear that. Yeah, if you're ever up here this way, uh you should definitely uh if have a chance to if you have a chance to take in a show there, you should. It's really yeah, you know, just like I said, there are really few if any other venues quite like it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Reminds me of uh Red Rocks a little bit. Yeah. In yeah, Colorado. I've heard it com- compared to there. um mm-hmm. they i've never been uh but i yeah so i but i've heard it people compared to there. yeah natural natural setting
0: natural amphitheater
1: yeah very nice
0: well,
1: well so uh what do you what do you have for us this week well i was going
0: to talk about california's climate goals where will the power come from <clears throat> from my bottom lines um taking a look at a report from the pacific research institute And then um, the latest round of Kaiso interconnection process reforms, which sounds um, technical, but uh, yeah, big problems with the interconnection queues in Kaiso
1: that they're working to resolve. So we'll be talking about that a little bit. How about you? All right. Well, so I've got a couple of stories here I want to talk about together about uh, regulators, state regulators, really uh, drawing a line and sticking to it in terms of pushing companies to File substantive uh, clean energy transmission plans or transition plans. And then uh, I've got another story about high prices in Washington's uh, carbon cap auction program. All right. And first, we should remind listeners, there's still a little bit of time left to uh, sign up for our upcoming webinar, June 22nd, 23rd on resource adequacy in the West and all the challenges facing the West and how how we're gonna solve those. So for more information on the uh, great lineup that we have for the webinar, go to newsdata.com slash C-O-N-F. That's the letter C-O-N-F. And uh, you can find out all information there, including how to sign up. Excellent. Well, I'm gonna uh, go ahead and get us started with, uh, there's two stories actually here that one, that my colleague Greg Mason wrote about Oregon regulators and Northwest natural gas company and then uh, one that I wrote about up in Washington with Washington regulators and Puget Sound energy but both these stories are uh, showing that you know state regulators are at least in Oregon and Washington are getting serious about expecting substantive planning from utilities in terms of how they're going to decarbonize So in Oregon, the uh, regulators on the Oregon Public Utility Commission, they rejected most of the long-term resource planning strategies outlined in Northwest Natural's 2022 Integrated Resource Plan, which is, uh, well, as it implies there, that's the long-term plan that utilities come up with for how they're going to evolve to meet demand and uh, in a cost-effective, responsible way. And meet all mm-hmm. the other you know, regulatory requirements that uh, are expected of them as utilities. And so they, the regulator said, uh, the company's proposals are rooted in uncertainty surrounding decarbonize decarbonized fuels, and they really just don't have a sufficient assessment of the risks or uh, electrification alternatives. And I mean, they were they were pretty, pretty uh, candid with their assessments here. And yeah. you know, the the chair of the commission here said that it kind of reminded her of just like how vague plans are about talking about uh long-term like nuclear projects coming together you know, years and years from now just saying like I, I feel like I've got more information about you know a reactor that might be built uh you know, 20 years from now than uh-huh. this plan uh and they did approve some of the Short-term action plans, uh, like replacing various parts of the system, like their liquefied natural gas facility, some upgrades that are needed there, costing you know uh, upwards of fifteen million dollars. Uh, their LNG facility in Portland, but really that long-term stuff uh, in terms of how this company is going to comply with Oregon's requirement that by twenty fifty natural gas utilities are providing up uh, at least thirty percent of their. Fuel is coming from renewable natural gas and, you know, other decarbonization requirements. And they just, uh, yeah, they said there's just not sufficient planning here. And the the problem for the utility is that then if this isn't without the approval or the acknowledgement from regulators, when they go to put uh, investments into rate recovery requests, they cannot use this as validation for that they can't point to it and say look you signed off on this we made these investments and so now we're coming back to you know say hey make sure that we followed through on what you you said was a good plan so they can still you know make the investments but there's no there's much less guarantee that they're going to be able to recoup their uh, wow. expenditures and in, in rates so there's you know this is very significant it does uh, and, in a way if there's you know there's always cynicism out there about well okay we you know legislators pass these very aspirational requirements how's this going to actually work out in when it comes down to enforcing it uh, on the regulatory level and there's a this is a pretty remarkable line that the Oregon regulators are drawing and similarly up in Washington uh so Puget Sound Energy filed their Clean Energy Implementation Plan. And so this is a little different from an integrated resource plan. It's something that uh, Washington required when it passed the Clean Energy Transition Act or Transformation Act uh, back in 2019. It's part of that evolution saying uh, requiring utilities every four years to file an, an implementation plan showing near term steps that they're going to take to move towards these state mandated decarbonization goals. So this plan was actually filed originally back in late 2021 it's finally getting approved now (laughs) it's been a long process uh and they uh ultimately though the commission the washington utilities and transportation commission they said look we're going to approve this but this just would not pass muster in the future this is the first time that this is the first run that any utilities had to file these plans uh so we're going to kind of give you guys a little bit of a pass but we're going to make it clear that this does not actually meet the requirements as laid out in state code uh flowing from that that ceta law that passed in 2019. and so i mean essentially what it comes down to is similar to what oregon regulators said to the uh, Northwest Natural was that, look, you guys don't have uh, Puget Sound Energy, the commission said to them, Uh, Puget Sound Energy doesn't have enough details in the plan as to how they're going to actually meet these near-term goals in 2025, 2030. By 2030, electric uh, utilities have to have uh, 80% of their electric retail sales coming from uh, non-emitting, resources and they have to be um so and future sound energy is also pledged to be have 63 percent of its electric retail sales from zero emission resources by 2025 that'd be up from about 43 percent now but uh yeah essentially the way what struck me about this was the way I would describe their plan is it's kind of like um saying you're going to host a dinner party this weekend <laughs> Somebody says, well, what's the menu? And you say, well, I'm going to go cr- grocery shopping. That's a good analogy. It, yeah, thank you. Uh, okay. I, so, I mean, it, it's essentially the the plan was we're going to have RFPs. We're going to go out and procure mm-hmm. resources that are going to get us to, uh, you know, get us to the those requirements for uh, non-emitting resources, which, I mean, you know, hey, look, Re- realistically, you can't say exactly what you're gonna buy. You know, uh I, I can't say I'm gonna have a dinner party three years from now and I'm gonna spend, yeah, you know, I'm gonna buy this cut of beef from this butcher. But I can say, you know, I based on my projections here, I think, you know, this is what this is what the menu is gonna be with some specificity, right? Um sure. I know that I'm I'm stretching that analogy there a little bit. <laughs> Work it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um a no, but, yeah uh so you know again i mean this is uh dealing with if for in Puget Sound Energy's case i mean they're talking about they think they're going to require 450 million dollars of investments uh to uh in for this clean energy transition by 2025. that part of the final order that util- the utility commission gave on this uh plan was saying look you've got about 100 20 million or so in here for grid modernization that really can't be attributed to uh clean energy like stuff like updating you know advanced meter infrastructure stuff and Scada um that you know they're saying yeah okay this is important like you do need to make these investments for demand response distributed energy uh resources but you need to make them anyways for grid modernization you can't just chalk this up to <laughs> This uh, the reason I bring this up uh, is that again, just like with Northwest Natural, these plans matter in terms of rate recovery. Uh, so there are some guideline or guardrails set in here into the law up in Washington uh, uh, in terms of how much what what the spending cap uh, is for utilities in terms of uh, having costs borne because they're decarbonizing. You know, that's like, I I forget exactly what the language is, but it's around like 2% annual increase of rates or I I forget exactly what the context is. It's what the 2% cap is, but um, it's something like that. Uh, So, you know, if you're packing a lot of things under that, that uh, pretty soon if you hit that, then it like utilities have a little bit more leeway in terms of how they're transitioning uh as opposed to you know what the utility commission's coming back with here saying like hey no you can't just kind of try to shove everything under this and call it good uh you've got to take a bit you know more uh, fine-tooth comb approach to really being you know, uh, describing what costs are purely coming out of this clean energy transmission mandates and what mm-hmm. are really being driven by other other needs so, uh, you know, in, in both cases here, I think some important lines being drawn by regulators uh, in terms of utility planning expectations for the coming years in uh, Oregon and Washington. And if we see, you know, if Oregon and Washington are, are leading states in terms of decarbonization mandates, uh, we could see these expectations trickling down through other regulatory bodies. So Interesting stories. I encourage people yeah. to go check them out
0: seems like an important thing to
1: get right you know these long-term plans and, indeed and not a simple the, task either no no i don't mean to make light of or yeah i mean the these, mm-hmm. this is hard work utilities have to do um but they have to do it yep and uh well i guess
0: they're holding them to a high standard that seems like a good thing
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the Washington commissioner said they uh, could have uh, fined Puget Sound up to half a million dollars for not um, filing an adequate plan uh, there. And they said we're, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that now, and this is not acceptable in the future. But um, we will pass it with a long list of conditions. Let's see. So, right. but uh, yeah, to that point of uh, you know, long-term planning is hard when you're trying to decarbonize, uh, There are some yes. concerns being raised about long-term planning in California. Yep. This
0: is something I've been looking at for a while. Um, you know, what the California Public Utilities Commission has ordered up in terms of new procurement is pretty significant. Um, in February, they ordered four gigawatts of supplemental generation. And in june 2021 they ordered load serving entities to procure 11.5 gigawatts um, and what they're finding demands growing more quickly than forecast mostly due to weather increasing usage of electric vehicles more need for air conditioning building electrification and changing of consumption patterns after covid19 there were some interesting comments from cpc administrative law judge julie fitch that was back when they were um doing the 11.5 gigawatt procurement order You basically said the state's directing its load serving entities to procure as much energy as possible there's a need for 35 gigawatts of nameplate capacity by 2030. for comparison the entire grid right now is about 80 gigawatts so needing 35 gigawatts <clears throat> seems pretty significant Here's the quote, even if all the incremental resources ordered to date were to come to fruition, that procurement would meet only roughly half of the additional resources needed by the end of the decade. So looking at this, it seems to be um, very much a catch up situation California is in. And then, uh, as I said, in a column, you know, I think it's fair to say it's been a little bit haphazard, you know, back in 2017. The state didn't think it had enough power. Now it's really scrambling. And then, of course, the decision to reverse the retirement of Diablo Canyon. And then I took a look at a new report. It's called Sapping California's Energy Future from the Pacific Research Institute, which is fair to say is a fairly conservative, um, I won't say anti-California, but they have entire sections of their website talking about reforming. California, it has been around for a while, but they did a study saying that the state will be about twenty-one percent short of the required power to meet zero-emission vehicle requirements. The deficit will be greater when other mandates, such as prohibitions on gas-powered appliances, are figured in. Uh, they note that Californians are requested to not charge EVs at you know peak demand times between four p.m. and nine p.m. during times of tight supply. So yeah, when you're asking people not to charge EVs, um, not on a regular basis, but at least, you know, a couple times a year, um, you know, raises questions. So uh, yeah, according to the study, which you can find on the Pacific Research Institute website, California will require a 21 fold increase in electricity to charge EVs from 2753 gigawatt hours in 2022. To 59,000 gigawatt hours in 2045. Um, here's a quote from the study: "It's highly doubtful that California will be able to meet its government-imposed renewable energy transition deadlines unless, based on our calculations, the state expands its annual addition of alternative sources by 86 percent." I guess no, um, no secret here that um, to meet these clean energy goals, we're going to need a lot of procurement, and then you have. You know supply chain issues other things factored in and also I direct readers to our potomac last week where jim robb from NERC north american electric reliability corporation said there's unquestionably greater risk to the system now than 10 years ago the 22 reliability assessment for 2023 to 27 shows high risk of supply shortfalls at normal demand peaks in wex california mexico area um yeah and one thing he mentioned which i not really attention being given to this is you know the spinning reserves that you need the frequency regulation that you need on the grid are, are supplied by these these large plants but are not really served by solar and wind in that capacity so just kind of the long-term reliability issues that we report on a lot that I see taking shape uh they don't seem to be improving very much but not to be negative but yeah that was my bottom lines yeah yeah,
1: yeah. it seems like a great opportunity for uh to learn more about this topic would be a webinar about resource adequacy exactly mm-hmm. I feel like we've got one coming up uh no, but th- that was a great column yeah. that you wrote I uh, I get that uh take and this is kind of a perennial question but for good reason um
0: mm-hmm.
1: the california yeah. and the west have some pretty ambitious decarbonization goals and yeah uh, getting the energy to meet them is going to be tricky let say the least
0: yeah and it gets down to lightly. you know what, what type of sacrifices we'll make for climate goals but um I think most people expect the power to to be there in America in, in 2023 and uh hopefully it will be.
1: Indeed. Uh I mean ultimately I suppose uh if we don't have the energy it's just going to mean that we can't decarbonize as quickly as perhaps you know the the goals that have been set by yeah. policymakers or the market uh yeah just consumers. Uh and ultimately the, the industry can only the power grid can only decarbonize as fast as it can ultimately um obviously there are ways to do that better or worse faster or slower but
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think we need to make sure
0: we're not doing this in a reckless way um and obviously you know reliability becoming more of a question and more of a topic in the past couple of years so we shall see so uh you have something for us on the carbon cap program in Washington.
1: Yeah, so Washington recently held its second uh carbon cap and invest program auction for carbon emission allowances in the state and uh it's so just this program just began this year. This is the second auction. Uh prices pushed past the soft price cap which triggers a sale of additional allowances later in the year. Uh and I just bring this up. It's not. It's really only of interest. the The particulars are really only of interest to uh, folks who are really deeply into market pricing, as this might affect you know demand, and supply, and and um, in Washington and other states. But uh, or you know they're into like carbon market trading. The yeah. the interesting thing though that I thought was uh, somebody I spoke to uh, somebody's uh, follows the energy price markets uh was saying you know those she was surprised to see the price push past the um soft price cap this yeah. early uh and yeah so to trigger the sale of additional resource or additional allowances you just need to go one cent past or I, I guess just even hit the price cap so it really doesn't make that much sense sense uh, from an economic standpoint she's so like like if you think there's demand is going to Exceed the supply in this auction of allowances, um, and then that means it's going to trigger a, a later sale. And really, just all you need to do is bid the price cap price, uh, and because yeah, you know, that's going to be it's a fixed price later on, so you know you're going to pay that. Um, so there's no point to pay extra for allowances that you know you can get at a fixed price later. Or pay extra for allowances now when you know you can get them at a fixed price later um but that's what happened they went four dollars past that price cap and uh now she her point uh the woman i spoke to an uh, analyst who works with the western power trading forum you know, her her take was, look, it's either we don't really know yet. This is such a new program. Maybe it's just people don't understand how the program works, or maybe there is some, we're seeing some signs that people are concerned that there are not going to be enough allowances for, uh, to keep pace with the emissions. Um, and this might be signaling some unease that companies that have to comply with the program are feeling. So just an interesting thing to watch it, watch as this program develops. And Yeah, that that's it for me from up here. Uh, you've got another story for us about Kaiso and interconnections.
0: Yep. Kaiso, California independent system operator launched track two of its interconnection process enhancements, uh, dealing mainly with cluster 15. Um, they've already, the board in May approved track one, which we wrote about. But here's a quote from the discussion paper. Given the rapid acceleration of clean energy development necessary to meet reliability and policy objectives, and the unprecedented level of resource development activities reflected in interconnection requests to the ISO, this paper explores concepts for significant and transformative improvements to the ISO's role in resource planning coordination. This track two will be aligned with the memorandum memorandum of understanding signed last December by the the PUC and the Energy Commission. Really uh it, these agencies looking to shape resource procurement as well as interconnections and transmission planning. What's happening is KAISO gets hundreds of interconnection requests per year from potential developers, but the current process doesn't seem to be working very well. Uh it's overwhelmed industry and uh planning resources current processes must be redesigned according to KISO. it's also true that many projects in these queues don't ever reach commercial operation so the current processes for managing the queue do not facilitate a timely development process a number of projects remain in the queue without indication of their near term viability uh they're talking about a number of reforms such as prioritizing interconnection in zones where transmission capacity exists, or new transmission has been approved, and limiting the amount of studies to reasonable capacity volumes that align with state resource planning. Also contemplating alignment of interconnection and transmission plan deliverability processes and load serving entity resource procurement functions, which doesn't sound like an easy thing. And in this paper, which you can find on the Kaiser website, they put up three concepts for discussion, including a qualification process for determining projects studied for full capacity delivery status and an alternative study path for all others, as well as a process whereby LSEs and other off takers select projects for study as an indication of commercial interest in advance of their cluster studies. And then finally, they're looking at a possibly selecting projects for interconnection studies through an auction. So this will be an ongoing stakeholder initiative. They had a meeting June 7th. They formed two working groups, one to address the volume interconnection requests and another to discuss existing projects in the queue. They're hoping to get track two to the board of governors by the end of the year in December, and then I guess it'll go on to FERC, but yeah, another topic we've been hitting here fairly regularly is the interconnection queue, not just in Kaiso, but across the country. And uh, if we're going to get this renewable energy online, something we need to work on.
1: Looks like Kaiso's
0: on top of it so far. So there's well, got-
1: always uh, more great coverage on that topic from you guys. Uh, you really uh, appreciate it—the uh, coverage yeah. you guys do of all the Kaiso interconnection issues and more. But uh, for now. Uh, that's that's it from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the Catchpole, and Clearing Up is on Twitter at CU Newsdata. That's the letter CU Newsdata.
0: Yep, CEM, California Energy Markets. It's also on Twitter at CEM Newsdata. I'm on Twitter at Fordney Energy. I'll see you there. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you back here next week.